Hey everyone, welcome back to the Impact Michigan podcast presented by Intermittent. Intermittent is a grassroots, volunteer-operated, and led organization that was founded in 2016. Their mission is to unite the Midwest tech community, thoughtfully nurture its development, and highlight it as a hub of and destination for entrepreneurial talent and innovation. In this episode of the Impact Michigan podcast, I chat with Henri-Pierre Jacques, co-founder of Harlem Capital, Harvard MBA candidate, and proud Detroit expat. I ran into him at Detroit Homecoming last fall and was fortunate enough to grab him for 30 minutes as he was hustling around meeting Detroit entrepreneurs and investors. We chat about Harlem Capital's mission, which is to fund 1,000 diverse founders. We also chat about who's building financial literacy programs in education, how startups are being overcapitalized, the growth and development of Detroit's startup ecosystem, and a whole lot more. All right, with that, let's get into the episode. Welcome, man. Thanks. Do you pronounce it Henry or Henri? Henri. Henri? Okay, I thought it was, it was French. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah, so um, welcome uh, back to Detroit. How often do you come here? Uh, twice a year, usually Thanksgiving and Easter. Okay, okay. Yeah, so um, I mean, the flow of this podcast, I like to keep pretty conversational, but I always like to start by allowing my guests to sort of just tell their stories. So um, for the listeners, who is Henri Pierre Jacques? Um, that's a loaded question. So I was born in Detroit, um, went to Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, uh, did a couple finance internships there, which really spewed my, my interest for finance. After school, went to investment banking in New York, uh, Bank of America, doing real estate and gaming, focused mostly on casinos. So really got a chance to learn about IPOs, M&A, debt financing. Uh, leverage that to then go to a middle market private equity shop, which was actually a black-owned PE firm, the third largest one uh, in the U.S., uh, called ICV Partners. And so there really just felt empowered, got opportunity to see men of color run a billion-plus uh, fund. And that really is kind of what's fueled Harlem Capital. Uh, and so started Harlem Capital about two and a half years ago while I was in private equity as an angel syndicate, where it was me, my coworker, uh, and two of our other friends. And we just wanted to invest in private assets. And so we began investing in small businesses, real estate venture. And then over time, slowly began to lean more towards venture and more towards people of color and women. And so that's kind of been our pure focus for the past year and a half. Uh, my partner and I, Jared, um, we got into Harvard Business School. And once we got to school, made a decision instead of going back into private equity, why not do this full time? Uh, we loved what we were doing. We were passionate about it. And we felt like we had decent success in the short period of time we were doing this. And so um, just been kind of focused on that. Really just want to do this after school full time and continue to scale the fund over the next 20 years to invest in a thousand diverse founders. Yeah. And so what would you say is kind of like the focus, like the split of the focus between like private equity and venture capital in terms of like startups or? or, or so we're purely venture now. Okay. So okay. when we were an angel fund, we did all asset classes because we just like investing. 
Um, but what you learn is as a first-time manager, it's very hard to be multi-asset class. One, investors unlikely to give you their money because they think you're not focused. Um, and then two, you're just really learning and you're kind of starting and there's a difference between investing and managing a portfolio and a fund. And so you just don't really want to take that risk of having multiple asset class your first go around. And so we decided that venture, given that we're focused on minorities, there are more minorities in early stage versus private equities later stage. There's not as many minorities in the later stage that are doing 10 million plus of revenue. So just from a pipeline perspective, it didn't make as much sense for us to be focused on private equity yet. But we do believe as we continue to do what we're doing, hopefully in 10 years, we can add a private equity fund to Harlem Capital and there will be more people of color who are scaling businesses to growth stage companies. Right. Cool. So, um, I mean, in the context of the event we're at, Detroit Homecoming, the, the real mission of it is to kind of bring expats and, you know, those who have ties and relations to the city of Detroit back to sort of spur conversations and, and have, you know, discussions as to, you know, what's needed and, you know, what people think is missing and what people see and where they are now, even Cambridge or New York, um, and, and really what we can sort of bring back and, and make our own. And so what do you see the, the growth and evolution of Detroit being, especially with, you know, your, your context as an investor and, you know, a, a person in the startup world? Yep. I have a lot of friends who actually recently moved back. I was texting a few of them just now to, to meet up later. So I think that's interesting because before, uh, none of my friends would have considered moving back. So I think now it's like, it's a new thing. I'm not at that point yet because I, I love New York. I just think it's that percent of our finance. Um, but I think from an investment standpoint, we've invested in a company in Chicago. We have not invested in Detroit yet. Um, we've met a few companies, but just from a pipeline standpoint, we haven't seen as many companies from Detroit. So I'll be curious to see over time if that number scales up to more, because we only invest in post-revenue. So if there are going to be more post-revenue businesses that we can see. Um, but I'm very focused on Detroit. My other partner um, is from Cleveland, so he's very focused on Cleveland. There's a number of funds in Ohio, Jumpstart, INDIAC, that are growing in Ohio, the Revolution Fund. And so I think you, you're beginning to see a very Midwest focus uh, investment um, position. And so I think that's gonna definitely be a part of us. I think, you know, we have no investments in San Francisco. Um, our investments are in LA, San Diego, Chicago, Baltimore, New York. And so I think even just from our portfolio, we begin to realize um, that more people of color and women are probably not gonna be in the main hubs. And so I think the Midwest is gonna be a part of that given Chicago, Detroit, there's a lot of people of color in these areas. Um, and Atlanta's another area we're trying to target. And so we're very focused on that. I think it just becomes, how do we shift our pipeline to make sure we're getting that deal flow? Because right now we're not seeing a lot of deal flow from Detroit and, and that's part of the reason coming back to this, to meet some of the venture capital firms to say, hey, any people of color in your deal flow, we wanna see them. Because um, if it's New York or SF, it's kind of automatic for us at this point. Um, but the other markets are a little bit more niche. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, you hit on the Revolution Fund and that's, you know, part of Steve Case's whole Rise of the Rest initiative. Um, like, you know, Ann Arbor, Detroit, Cleveland, Columbus, Indianapolis, all these kind of like Midwest growing hubs. Even yep. um, yesterday I was just with um, uh, Kwame, uh, I can't, I forget his last name, but he was talking about, um, you know, Birmingham, Alabama, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Atlanta, as sort of the exciting um, cities, because, you know, we understand what's kind of going on, and we really think, you know, and we do have traction, like, 
Ann Arbor, Duo Security just was acquired by Cisco, right? And so, you know, it's interesting, and, and I want to get your point of view as an investor, you know, you talk about the pipeline problem, like what do you think is the main priority in terms of helping uh, uh, combat that, or, or helping, you know, put more investors, or entrepreneurs in, in the pipeline? Yeah, so I mean, I think you have to be focused on it, otherwise it's just not gonna happen. As an entrepreneur? Uh, well, as an investor. As in, yeah. Um, I think it's on the investors to get access to the entrepreneurs. I just don't, I think it's gonna be really hard if we put the ownership on entrepreneurs. You're trying to build a business. Um, you can only leverage a network that you have, and so there's only so much an entrepreneur can do. And so I think to, to say the onus is on them to get in touch, whether they're in Birmingham, Alabama, it's just very, just unrealistic um, to an investor who's in San Francisco and gets thousands of emails. And so I think, Investors have to be very conscious of that, and as you see bigger players like Rise of the Rest come into play um, and get the returns, I think other people will begin to see that. And as you see these markets get saturated and just completely overvalued, people are going to have to go elsewhere to, to get those returns. I think it will happen with time. I do think, though, there are tiers, and, and you know, you have kind of the second tier venture cities today, which would be like in Atlanta or Detroit, which I think have seen some growth, but definitely don't have the full ecosystem. And I think when you talk about like a Birmingham, Alabama, or somewhere like a North Carolina, like you're like tier three, um, it's gonna be very hard at this stage to convince a Sequoia to invest in those cities. There's just no, there's no developed ecosystem there. Their advantage is we're looking to invest in a company in New Orleans is like their salaries are much lower, their rents much lower. So you don't need to raise as much capital, but in a capital um, heavy world where every fund is now raised its largest fund, Sequoia $5 billion, I'm not trying to deploy less capital, yeah. right? So it's not really an advantage for tier two or tier three cities to be cost effective. Because I want my round to be as big as possible because I'm trying to create unicorns to carry my fund back. And so I think there's this like, you have this weird shift. And I think it will shift when the recession happens and the next, the next five year funds can't raise those multi-billion dollar funds. But at this point today, when funds are just getting bigger, it's the pure reason why rounds are getting bigger. The rounds aren't getting bigger because companies are better, right? The rounds are getting bigger because funds are getting bigger. So funds need to deploy more capital. And that's not gonna work if you have a, you know, a, a startup in Birmingham trying to raise a million dollars. It's just chump change to these guys. And so I think it's gonna take some time for the market to shift where it's like, oh, I actually need to be methodical about my dollars versus you have so many dollars now nobody cares you can just you can just throw it around yeah it's almost as if companies are becoming over capitalized if that's a term yeah no right? it's definitely a term yeah <laughs> it's definitely a term yeah and it's so, happened before and it's, it's gonna happen again and i think there's a number of i saw a, t uh, a tweet probably a couple weeks ago where it showed unicorns um from three years ago uh had tripled hmm. and so he was like either you believe fundamentally that um, technology has increased 3x in three years for all of a sudden to be all these multi-billion dollar companies or it's purely based on VCs fluffing up the companies, right? I think it's pretty obvious that, that startups have not improved 3x in three years. Today's partner highlight is none other than Ann Arbor Spark. 
Ann Arbor Spark is a nonprofit organization and they're advancing the region by encouraging and supporting business acceleration, attraction, and retention. The organization identifies and meets the needs of businesses at every stage from startups to large organizations. To achieve its mission, Ann Arbor Spark collaborates with business, academic, government, and community investor partners. For more information, visit www.annarborusa.org. All right, with that, let's get back to the episode. Um, you know, as an investor, and, and yesterday I was, I was with like a bunch of other, you know, high growth um, tech investors, Lotoni for one, um, and, and really just these people who are, who are focused on and on sort of, you know, capitalizing on the fact that there isn't as much funding and being, you know, that, that first to market essentially as an investor. So, so, you know, in your perspective, how do you think about, you know, deal flow and, and finding entrepreneurs, especially in, in cities that like, like Detroit, that, you know, it, it's a bit harder to see, you know, um, not necessarily traction, but, but see everything that's happening. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for us, we're, we use social media heavy, um, partially because two of our venture partners, they run their own social media companies. And so I think our perspective is, cause I would say 90% of our deal flow is inbound. Um, and I think that's that's good for us because we can't rely on traditional pipelines, right? We, you know, we get invited to tech stars, we get invited to 500 startups, but like you only get to see two or three deals of these accelerators. Um, and if you go to traditional um, whatever meetings, you'll see a few. But like it's like we're going to like deep in Brooklyn, or like we host events in Harlem, like where people aren't generally going. And that, but you just can't do that, right? I can't I can't host an event in Detroit. Run like we're a smaller fund. It's not worth the resources. And so the way we combat that is we try to be as visible as possible. Um, and so whether that be producing content, so hosting a podcast, um, one of our partners is going to be hosting a TV show, whether it be us being on social media, we're, we just started our third intern class this week. So like trying to get as many younger people who want to be in this space of color uh, to work for us and then be advocates for us um, and to help them get into the space. And they're some of our biggest advocates or whether it be just taking the extra step with founders who we pass on and just like helping them like, it's shocking when a founder reaches out and we just reply like, hey, sorry, like here are the reasons we can't invest in you. And they like reply like, thank you for replying, right? Like just that little bit of like, you like read my information goes a long way. And then like they become advocates for us. And so some of our deals have come from founders we passed on introducing us to other founders. And so I think it really just comes down for us as like, if, we, if we're as visible as possible, we'll reach way more areas than we ever could through like some pipeline strategy. You just can't, you can't be everywhere at once. There's too much going on, right? I'm in business school. And so like the notion of like, hey, we're gonna set up meetings in Detroit and Alabama just isn't gonna be possible. And so it becomes okay, our, we're a startup essentially and our customer base are people of color. People of color are over indexed to social media, like 1.6X to the rest of the world. They consume TV, you know, two to three times more. So like if you can be on social media, you can be in TV, find ways and, and get into black enterprise articles, get into Forbes articles. Like it's not like we don't do the press for us. 
we do the press because we know that's where our consumers are. And any startup, you need like, how do you lower your customer acquisition costs? I don't buy a plane ticket to fly to cities to meet with 10 founders. I try to get social media for free to reach hundreds of founders. And so for us, like that's been our strategy. Um, and it, it's worked well so far and we're scaling a lot faster than I think we could otherwise. Um, and also this thing, even for the people we don't reach who we can invest in, it's more about visibility, right? Like them knowing, we have people email us like, hey, saw the article, just want to say like, we see you. Hey, can I bring my son into the office to watch you just to see black men of color? Like that's very important because, you know, the, we're not starting this to raise one fund. We're starting this to raise a billion dollars of capital over 20 years. Like that's the goal. And the, like if you raise a billion dollar fund today, focus on people of color post revenue, you just couldn't deploy that fund just realistically. And so it becomes, okay, as we scale over the next 10 to 20 years, how do we grow? How do we accelerate the pipeline, right? We're not going to accelerate the pipeline by investing in our 30 companies and making them succeed. Obviously that will help. We're going to accelerate the pipeline by helping everybody else outside of our portfolio. And so like making sure they see us like, hey, there's somebody here for you. When you get to that point, then like it just becomes a, a network effect. And then when we raise our third fund, now it's like, oh, like look how much faster people of color are getting into this space because there's a Harlem Capital, there's a Backstage, there's a, you know, whoever it may be, a female founders fund. Um, and I think that's really important. And that's something that traditional firms don't need to worry as much about because they're not trying to accelerate. They have a big enough pipeline. So it's like, hey, I have my 30 to 50 companies. Like that's what I'm focused on. But it's like we have to focus on everybody else's, which sucks because it's a lot extra work, but I think it's very important to long-term success, success in this space. Yeah, definitely. And there's a point on there that I definitely want to hit, which is, you know, people are hitting you up saying, hey, can I bring my son to, you know, show them, you know, that this is possible. And I think um, that's really important, especially, you know, thinking in terms of minority-owned businesses and in women-owned businesses and, and seeing, you know, what's possible in front of you. I think that's, that's even the first step. And, and that kind of goes into my question, which is, you know, what do you think has to, uh, what do you think, you know, the opportunity is in terms of education of entrepreneurship? Because um, I know, you know, there are lots of stories, you know, like um, Damon John being one of them, like he was an entrepreneur sort of out of necessity, right? Like you kind of have to. color are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, what do you think, you know, the education aspect is in terms of, okay, like, Yes, you can be a hustler and uh, a, a small business entrepreneur, but now if we're talking about tech and enough. all of that, and like mm -hmm. you know, like what is a what is a seed round? You know, what is a cap table? All of these things. Where do you think that sort of education comes into play? So I mean, ideally, you integrate to the schools. And interestingly enough, um, John Rogers who runs the largest black-owned asset management firm, uh, Aerial Investors in Chicago, was in my class yesterday. So I'm in a class at Harvard Business School called Black Founders Journey. It's the only, it's the only MBA class in the world that is focused purely on black protagonists. So we're very fortunate to have that class. And so he actually started a school in Chicago that integrates financial literacy into their program. Uh, I think it's one of the few schools that does that. And he wants to expand that model uh, across Chicago because I think it's just vital. I was very fortunate when my mom was that for me. She made me take stock classes when I was in middle school. Um, you know, when I did my chores, I got $25 a week for my chores. If I, if I decided to give her the 25, she would invest the 25 into a stock. Um, that stock happened to be Home Depot, which is my best performing stock today. I've had that stock for 15 years now. And so like that's like the wealth and me understanding that 
right? And so I think it ha- I think starting early is obviously ideal, but then you bring it to reality of like most founders and have that. So today, um, you know what happens? I think you need to be around people who mentors who have that, and you need to just like just just breathe, live and breathe it, right? I think I listen to podcasts on a daily basis. I read Twitter on a daily basis. Like not like Twitter where you're following like garbage, like like curate your feed, curate your LinkedIn feed. And there's a lot of good content on social media, right? Like a lot of good content on these platforms. And if you can curate that, you can really learn pretty fast, you know, and watch like, like the beauty of stuff like this is now video content is becoming so powerful. And I learn much better from video than reading. I hate reading. I think it's time consuming. If I can watch a video, listen to a podcast while I'm doing something else, this is not enough time in the day that I'm, I'm doing two things at once and so there's a lots of people out there whether it be Gary Vaynerchuk or whoever it may be who are producing content for people to learn this uh, some of my favorite podcasts a podcast called Startup by Gimlet a podcast called 20 Minute VC if you want to understand the venture capital perspective um, and so there, there are resources out there but then find people who are as passionate about you right the reason I can do this is because my three co-founders we all happen to be in Harlem happen to be in finance and happen to want to invest in people of color. And there's just no way that you can do, I could do all what we're doing by myself. And we push each other and you learn and you grow so much faster. I think that's the, that's the beauty of a tier one VC city is you have the ecosystem. You talk about it 24 seven on Slack and bars. And so I think the disadvantage is when you're in these tier two, tier three cities, doesn't mean you can't do it, but there's just not as many people, you know, passionate about that. And it's very hard to create, you know, if you're a true entrepreneur, you're creating something you know unique not like uh, I'm doing the uber of this but like something new then there aren't people there isn't anything else out there right it's just like Airbnb that didn't exist before and so you need people to be crazy with you and if you don't have crazy people around you then it's hard for you to kind of like get to that next level and for us our mentality is 10x we want to do 10x everything right like we just can't constrain ourselves to 1x yeah, I think a big point in there too is is mentorship, kind of going back to the education aspect. Because last night um, at one of the events I was at, you know, um, Kwame, one of the investors um, of the Black Star Fund founder, um, he was talking about how an entrepreneur called him and then said, "Hey, is this Kwame?" And he's like, "Yes." And he's like, "Whoa, you're actually answering the phone? This is this is really you?" <laughs> and then he just like kind of had to like put his phone away and it was just like. And then the guy's like, are you still there? And he was like, look, how, how often have you done this? Like, how many times have you done this before? It's like, this is my first time. Like, it's my first, you know, venture, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm new to this. And he's like, okay, look, one, don't do that. Two, let me actually, you know, show you what to do. So I feel like that mentorship aspect, because, you know, as a founder, there's so many different things that you learn, like, like, um, like the etiquette of it all, like investor talk. Like, that was one of the topics last night at the panel where it's like, you have entrepreneur language, but in a pitch deck that you send to an investor, you have to put it in their own language. And I think you know that kind of education. I, th- I mean, I love the fact that there's a class at HBS for it was it Black Founders Journey. Yeah, I think that's that's amazing. But um, going back to you know the event we're at Detroit Homecoming, um, where do you see Detroit, especially since you're from here? Where do you see the, the ecosystem developing in, like, let's say, you know, the next five years? Yeah, um, I mean, it's come a long way. I think it has a long way to go still. Um, 
I, my hope is that the ecosystem will remain equal opportunity. I do think, I think part of the reason we haven't seen as many um, people of color from Detroit, at least in our pipeline, because there's not as many people of color investors. And so generally the way we get access to the bigger funds is there's like a associate or analyst, because none of these funds have black partners, um, that gets us access to these funds. And then we eventually meet the partner. And so that's the kind of way that you get access to some of these bigger funds. And in Detroit, there's a lot of funds that just don't have people of color and just aren't in any of my kind of network. And so I think that's a disadvantage because um, I think people of color all founders need to see people of color investors to want to approach them right like Detroit Venture Partners do they have a black investor now Aaron yeah now so now they do they didn't before and so it's like it's called Detroit Venture Partners and you had no person of color it's just just ironic yeah. right and so I think that's a big issue and just given how black Detroit is I think the it would just be a big disservice for Detroit venture to just become another Silicon Valley um, I just don't I don't think Detroit will grow as fast if it tries to replicate that model because I just it's just not there I think its uniqueness is we understand people of color we understand middle-class Americans better I mean if you have $125,000 salary and SF you're poor like officially you're poor now right that's like rich in Detroit and so it's just two different two different worlds and so I think Detroit investors need to acknowledge that and also have investment criteria that fits that. You're not going to be aiming for unicorns in Detroit and that's fine but can you build an investment model where like you don't need it? There's only 175 unicorns in the U.S. so like you know like the odds of that happening is low but like can you build an investment model where hey a hundred million dollar exit can still allow my fund to succeed and I, so that's the way we approach it is like hey we want to invest in companies and generally you see this people of color are on average, you know, having one and a half to two X longer run companies before they hit their seed round. Right. So you'll see a person of color three, four years in the game before they raise like a million, two million dollar seed round. The business is like pivoted, gone through it all. So like your your risk factor, you de-risk the business. The business generally, our average investment, our business is doing a million of revenue. A million of revenue is like a A or B out west. They're like, you're not investing in seed. I'm like, we are investing in seed for people of color. Because it takes a person of color to have a half million, a million of revenue to get a seed round. Right. So to us, like we're getting good value and these businesses are de-risked because they've been around longer. They have like good customer base. They shouldn't go to zero if the business keeps on some steady track. Um, so you don't need as much upside because you have less downside. And so I think a lot of these these tier two cities like Detroit, you're likely not going to see as many unicorns um, just given the unicorns are created because of the big venture firms. Like it's not created because the businesses are better and they're just not here. And so can you build a business model that is like, hey, like it's okay to have a uh, hundred million dollar exit. I think that will be a much better position for tier two cities. I think long term for venture, 80% of venture capital firms fail, like right, like 20% of the market is 100% of the return. So you have to remember, 80% of venture capital firms suck, like right. So it's not as if like everybody knows what they're doing. Um, and we're we're certainly not in the bucket yet where we know what we're doing. And so I think a lot of people are figuring that out. So I think to believe that the current VC model works is flawed because for most people it doesn't um, besides these blue chip firms who kind of like work together very often. Um, and so Detroit needs to create that kind of let's work together, let's focus on our, our talents and let's make sure that we don't forget that we are in Detroit, we're not in the Valley. Yeah, very true. And so wrapping up here, where can people find more info on you, find more info on Harlem Capital, reach out if needed or in general just you know, learn more. 
Um, so Harlem.Capital is the website, and everything's on there. Emails. We're on all social media, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, and Instagram. So follow us there. We post very often. Uh, and, yeah, if you want to get more information, all of our investment criteria is on the website. Um, all of our team information, our news, we actually have a resource page where we kind of recommend some podcasts, some news outlets to follow that we think are beneficial. Um, and so just reach out. Yeah. And so this is more of a personal question, but for you as an investor, as well as, you know, student at HBS here, um, back in Detroit, um, what are you most excited about? In life or about Detroit? In life. Um, in life. I'm most excited about hopefully doing this full-time after school. I uh, was very fortunate to get a fellowship from HBS to do it this summer full-time as my internship with uh, my partner Jared. And so that we've been doing this for almost three years now, but you know, two years in private equity, one year in business school. So it was the first three months that we were like fully focused and it just felt incredible. Uh, and it was very clear this is what I wanted to do. And so I think having an opportunity to, to make money while having an impact is beautiful. I think, you know, I've always been a capitalist. I always believe that things get done faster when it's not through nonprofits. And so to be able to see that in something that I'm doing is very incredible and humbling. Um, and also the process has humbled me because you realize how hard it is. One, to start a, like we're a startup, so to start a business is hard. We've been doing this, it's the same, right? We've been doing this three years and we're now at a point where we can raise outside capital, right? Like three years of doing calls every week, talking to each other, you know, investing hundreds of thousands of personal dollars into this business. Um, and so it takes always longer than you expect. And so like to finally get to a point where it's like now you can scale the business, a lot of people don't get to that point. There's a lot of entrepreneurs out there um, and not entrepreneurs and realize how hard this is and that it takes 10 years to build this and I think having a team that I have uh, just excites me and every day to see how we can make a difference um, is super exciting I think I'm very passionate about finance and to share finance with other people of color even I mean people in my class you know at Harvard Business School who are people of color we talked about this yesterday who are going to graduate like are just not financially literate right like you can do a finance class like do you understand like how to manage your credit card how to budget how to build out a model to like decide investments like that's just like very basic information that I think this is not being taught even at people at Harvard Business School. And so I think having an opportunity to share that knowledge with my peers and with people I don't know is going to long-term create wealth. And that's my, my mission in life um, and what my definition of success is to create thousands of people of color to be wealthy, like, like, black, like white wealth, not black wealth, not like you're a doctor and you're making a half a million dollars like, and people think you're rich. No, like real wealth where you skip a generation and your kids can make a decision to start a business because if they fail they're going to be fine right like the real wealth i think that's the difference is and what we've learned in this fundraising process is the people who we thought were wealthy who like black people consider wealthy like they're not right and they don't have the luxury of investing in a venture capital firm that's risky right and so you begin to realize like there are levels to this um and i want to get as many people of color to the white boy level as possible that's awesome and with that thank you so much for coming on appreciate it All right, everyone, that was Henri-Pierre Jacques of Harlem Capital. 
And I think that was a really insightful episode. And I think that was definitely a fair take on the state of startups in this ecosystem. You know, his point about investors having to make it a priority to find entrepreneurs in cities like Detroit instead of the other way around stresses that in order to find and fund the success stories in emerging cities like Detroit, at least in the startup scene, of course, the onus is on the investors, not the entrepreneurs which I think is, is definitely, at least from my experience, an echoed take on this problem. What do you think? Let me know your thoughts. Email me. Uh, my email is leanne at ashe.media. I'm curious, if you're interested in startups, like, what do you think about that problem? Especially because, you know, if you're listening to this show, you probably understand more than the average person about the state of the startup ecosystem here in Michigan um, and even in the Midwest. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like, what do you think about that statement? The fact that investors should be the ones who are going out and looking for the entrepreneurs to fund instead of entrepreneurs trying to fund it or trying to find investors. Let me know. Well, folks, that about does it for this episode. Stay frosty, stay warm. I know those are two opposite things, but you do you. (laughs) Uh, Stay um, whatever you want to be, and we'll see you next time on the Impact Michigan podcast.